And now a reading from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me, a company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen you have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down, bow down before him, shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Leah. I don't know about you, but I have a, I have a strange fascination with last words. You have a strange fascination with that. Have you ever done this, gone out and, and read books or even gone online and looked up people's last words? 
I think there's a, I think there's a feeling in that for me personally that somehow the last thing someone's going to say uh, in their life with those, those last breaths and that last moment are going to be some of the most important things that they utter uh, in life. And uh, my experience tells me otherwise. Uh, when you sit with folks in those last moments of their life, it's not quite the way the movies work, but there's always kind of a sense in my mind or a hope that something important is going to be said. And of course, like I said, experience tells us otherwise. You remember Elvis Presley's last words. Do you know what Elvis Presley's last words were? Those profound words, I'm going to the bathroom to read. <laughs> Probably not some of his finest. <laughs> or Frank Sinatra's last words, the chairman of the board, well, blue eyes. I'm losing it. <laughs> Not very profound, right? So I don't know why I'm expecting to hear last words are going to have some sort of profound final chapter in people, people's lives. But sometimes it does work out. Sometimes what people say in those last moments are incredibly profound, and it speaks to a whole life of service or a life of commitment. We know that with Harriet Tubman, uh, if you look at different sources, you'll see kind of two different places. At the end of her life, she was singing with her family, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Um, others have her as her last uh, words that she spoke are recorded as, I go to prepare a place for you. And so you think about her life, those last words, um, even that last song, speak to a lifetime of commitment uh, to others and, and one that was a lifetime of delivery and rescue. The New Testament accounts actually give us Jesus' last words before he dies. And if you read the four Gospels and you see those, those words be, while he's on the cross, what he says, there's a little bit of difference that we see between what the different Gospel writers present. But Matthew and Mark have his last words as being uh, this. It's an Aramaic phrase that translates, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as you hear those words, you might say, That sounds familiar. I think I've heard those recently. If you are thinking that, it's because you just heard them in Psalm 22. And so as we turn to Psalm 22 and ponder it over the next few moments, we're going to ponder familiar words that are tied to a familiar story. As we look at the gospel and we, and we hear Jesus' own uh, use of those words, it becomes very clear to us that the writers of the gospel had this particular psalm in mind as they were telling that story of Jesus' death on the cross. You notice in the psalm itself, it's written as a psalm of David. We know David as being this great king in the history of Israel. And as we think about the life of David, we think about him being king, we also recognize that the gospel writers made it clear throughout the different gospels that Jesus himself was a king. We see that, of course, in Matthew 27, Mark 15, but also in Luke 23 and John 19. So all the gospel writers themselves will direct that there's something about Jesus he needs to be recognized as a king. We also know that the main character in the psalm, as we read through Psalm 22, is one who's going to be publicly mocked and ridiculed. You actually hear this in the psalm. It says, all who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Of course, we see in the story of Jesus as he's on the cross, he's being mocked and ridiculed in those gospel accounts. Even people yelling, save yourself if you indeed are who you say you are. Of course, the psalmist's enemies divide uh, the clothing of the psalmist and the casting of lots. We see that in verse 18 of our psalm. And you know the gospel story. You know that Jesus, when he was on that cross, it said uh, that at the time of his execution, in both Mark and in Luke, 
uh, in a particular, if we look at John's account, 22, chapter 22 of Psalm is quoted as those clothes were going to be gambled for. So familiar words we have here, familiar to us from the gospel story. They tell us a familiar story as we read through there. And we might stop there and say, hey, this, this story that I'm reading in Psalm, I've heard this one before. This is clearly talking about Jesus. We recognize that these are costly, costly words that are shared here because of what Jesus is experiencing. But I want us to pause for a second. And as we hear these words, to hear them on a couple different levels. Clearly, it's the experience of the psalmist who writes these words. Clearly, it's the experience of Jesus. And for many of us here this morning, it might also be our experience. That this prayer, this cry for help, this cry for why God has forsaken us, might actually be from our own voice. A bunch of years ago, I was uh, competing in a rodeo. I'm going to let that just pause for a second and sink in. (laughs) Right, right. You're like, Jimmy, your belt buckle's not big enough to have competed in a rodeo. I didn't win. (laughs) There's a couple occasions where uh, I had a chance to compete in a a rodeo in Big Timber, Montana. Uh, A couple of folks, they needed a three-person team. I'm not sure why they asked me. I happened to be at the rodeo. They said, hey, hey, Jimmy, can you, uh, would you be on our team? And the particular competition that we were in, we weren't riding bulls or uh, for like the little kids, they ride sheep at the rodeo. I wasn't riding a horse around barrels or anything like that. Our job as a three-person team was to put a saddle on a cow and ride it around a cone. These cows were free-grazing cattle. Cows don't generally like saddles on them. That's been my experience. And I was asked to be the rope man. And so my job was to hold a rope while I was standing at the chutes of this, of this uh, cattle thing. I don't even know what they call it. It's a gate with a cow in it. <laughs> so I'm standing there and I'm looking up and down the line. And I'm wearing pretty much just an outfit like this. The guys on either side of me are dressed like toe-to-head cowboy. Cowboy hat, cowboy shirt, cowboy pants, cowboy boots. And they got gloves. I ain't got gloves. I was just there to see a rodeo. Now I'm in it. They're also holding a rope that's like nine feet long. My rope was 18 inches long. <laughs> the cowboy next to me starts laughing. Then I knew I was in trouble. When cowboys start laughing, that's not a good thing. They open the chutes. I'm standing there in front of a cow. I haven't spent a lot of time in my life standing in front of cows. And the cow's just kind of wandering around thinking, okay, whatever. And I'm holding a rope that's 18 inches long that's attached to its face. Well, another cowboy walks up and slaps the cow on the butt. And the cow jumps up and takes off. I was still holding that 18-inch rope as the cow took off. It started to drag me across the arena. And then I let go. My hands were burning. We were running around chasing our cow for the next 20 minutes, trying to get a saddle on the thing. There was a moment, a distinct moment in all of that, where I found myself running up to a group of cows. It's a huge group, just standing there. They stared at me. I stared at them. I didn't take another step. Apparently, I'm afraid of cows. <laughs> it was kind of frightening. But when we look at our text this morning, we see not cows. We see in verse 12, many bulls. They're not standing there in fear of you. They're actually coming after you. And that's what the psalmist is saying here, that their situation 
is a situation of dire fear and danger, of struggle and also of oppression. Look what they say there. Many bulls in verse 12. Then they talk about lions in 13. They're using these different uh, metaphors here. And then it says dogs all around in verse 16. And evildoers who are encircling in verse 16. This is the cry, again, of one who's oppressed, of one who's bullied and in danger. And we know that despite our own enlightened age that we live in, despite all the advances that we've made as a society, despite all the advances we've made globally and around the world, we know that this is a struggle that still exists today, that people can find themselves in the same type of situation uh, today. I was reading this past week online. I went to the, the website stopbullying.gov. Our government has a website uh, about bullying. And they're taking on uh, this, this area that exists within our culture. And they estimated about 20% of students ages 12 to 18 experience bullying nationwide. It went on to say that those who are bullied reported uh, that those who bullied them uh, filled out the following characteristics. They had the ability to influence other students' perception about them. Said they had more social influence. They were physically stronger or larger, and they had more money. If you think about each one of these different categories that are identified by these young people who are being bullied, we see here that there's a powerlessness that they felt. That there was a difference between the one who's bullying and the one being bullied. That power is being exerted here and not in a positive way. And so this certainly makes the one feel weak, lacking resources, having no way out of their experience. But Psalm 22 here offers more to us than just bullying. It's not just about being encircled and endangered in that. In fact, one commentator, Amanda Beckhuizen, will write this about Psalm 22. She says, Psalm 22 is the cry of one who knows what it is to be bullied by his enemies, rejected by his community, and abandoned by God. That's the trifecta that you don't want. Bullied. Abandoned. Alone. We might find ourselves in a similar cry. You might find yourself in a similar situation when certain things come into your life. Certain experiences seem to trigger this idea of being one who's forsaken. You might get a diagnosis that leaves you alone and isolated, feeling cold and abandoned. You might experience the death of someone that you so dearly loved that now you feel that you walk alone. That no one knows what you're experiencing. That no one can feel the pain and isolation that you feel. Perhaps you've gone through a divorce. And in that moment of going through that, you ask, why am I forsaken? I now walk alone. Perhaps the disappointment of something in life that you were really, really hoping for. That you're really desiring to come to pass or would come into your experience. And you were, you're so disappointed that you grieve to the point of asking where is God in all of this? What has happened to my life? Or maybe it's just any form of dejection that you feel that's left you broken and shattered, that leaves you on the ground wondering if there's any way out, if there's any hope. Our world at those moments can close in on us, and we feel surrounded. We can feel those bulls and lions. We can feel those dogs and those enemies coming at us. Reminded here of a Judy Bloom title. You know Judy Bloom, right? Remember that book, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. But maybe you ask, Are You There, God? It's me, Jimmy. Just in case you forgot my name. 
just in case you forgot my voice because you've left me long ago. In that moment of desperation, we not only ask why and where, but like the psalmist in verse 11, we plead, do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Eugene Peterson will capture the same uh, verse in the message, writing it this way. Since the moment of birth, you've been my God. Then you moved far away, and trouble moved in next door. I need a neighbor. That's what the message says on that text. You know, here's the thing. The gospel writers include Psalm 22 for us to hear Jesus say those words. And I think part of that, one, is for us to recognize that Jesus actually suffered. We could think of it as uh, some sort of, yeah, Jesus goes through the motions, he's God, he didn't really feel it. There wasn't really any uh, struggle there, he just kind of did his thing and endured it, and then came out the other side victorious. But for us to hear and pause that as we read the Gospels and hear that Jesus really suffered at all levels. So we think about that struggle that the psalmist is enduring in those first 21 verses of the text. That Jesus is experiencing that on the cross. That he's feeling isolated, that he's feeling abandoned, that he's feeling alone in that. And so he knows this experience all too well. He knows this in his own suffering. But here's the thing. These are last words, but they're not the final word. These are the last words, but they're not the final word. In our own hour of desperation, these words for us can feel like last words. God, why have you forsaken me? And in the moment, a whole host of questions might come to our mind and to our hearts. Does God even hear us? I need a neighbor God. But will God even come near? And certainly we'll ask those questions and we'll feel like we're at the end of our ropes. That we've come to the final place. But again, the good news is that these are last words, but not the final words. I've got this friend named Dave who uh, pastors a worshiping community in Pasadena. And kind of a cool story of what Dave has been involved in, the way that he serves. But one of the things that uh, Dave often does is he'll, he'll, he'll share with me a, a quote that he's very fond of. Again, going back to the message, he quotes uh, Eugene Peterson's words in, in John chapter 1. When he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And moved into the neighborhood. God moved into the neighborhood in the person of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, God not only becomes a neighbor, the neighbor that we're asking for and crying for. God not only comes near in the way that we're hoping that God will come and be our rescuer and our deliverer. But as the book of Hebrews will say, and what that writer writes in the New Testament, observes that this same Jesus became like his brothers and sisters, we hear that in Hebrews chapter 2, is able to sympathize with us. We hear that in Hebrews chapter 4, even as Jesus intercedes on our behalf. When we're pressed into the place where everything seems hopelessly lost, when we find ourselves in that place where we feel that we have become completely alone, there's the assurance that we hear in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered. And the he here is Jesus. He is able to help those who are being tested. So wherever you're at, wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever place that might be, 
whether that's standing in front of a bunch of cows in Big Timber, Montana, or something far more serious than that, something more gravely serious than that, Jesus has suffered the way that you suffer. And so Jesus can come to your rescue and deliver you knowing exactly what you're experiencing. And of course, we'll hear that in the psalm. The psalm begins to shift. The second part of verse 21, we see a shift occur here in this text. What was started out as a desperate cry, what started out as a a, a sense that alone and abandoned and wondering where God is going to show up, the psalmist now turns their attention to a worship celebration. A worship celebration breaks out. A party breaks out, seeing what God has accomplished. And we'll hear the psalmist's words begin to change, that God indeed has heard them in verse 24, that God has in fact delivered them in verse 31. And their cries of distress are replaced with songs and stories of rescue and deliverance. Think of that song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And how's that line in the song go? This is my story. This is my song. On one sense, Psalm 22 for us serves as our story and our song in this life. And as we read through those first 21 verses, it very much fits many of the experiences that we encounter in this life. The disappointment. The sense of wondering if God is actually there in the moment. But the entire psalm, reading from that second part of verse 21 and on, tells us once more, that's also our story. That's also our song. That God wants for you and me to experience life. That God wants us to experience deliverance and rescue. That we might inhabit a new way of living. That we might enjoy a new kind of life. May it be so for our lives today and every day and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you on this day for your great love for us. And once more, we're reminded here as we've come to this text and we've pondered your words in Psalm 22 that what you want for us is not embodied or inhabits some sort of fantasy land, but it deals with the real grit of life, the real struggle and the challenges that we indeed face here in this life. Oh, what great comfort it is to know that our loving God can sympathize with us in Jesus Christ. That not only did God give the Son, but that the Son has given of Himself in the suffering on the cross. And so as we once more have heard these words, as we once more have pondered them in our hearts, Lord, oh, what great love you have for us. Help us to respond in a way that shares that love with others, but also ultimately that loves you with all our being. We praise in Christ.